I want you to join me, um, if you would please, in Exodus 19. And uh, again, I have about 14 directions this can go, but I do believe I've heard from the Lord. Exodus 19 is, uh, is vitally important to who we are as a people because this is where we come to Mount Sinai and the Lord is speaking actually what later became known as Pentecost. This is what they were celebrating at the mountain when the Lord was speaking the word and so God speaks to Moses. There's several verses of scripture here about three verse three through six. He speaks and it's all important but what I want to focus on today if I can is verse seven, Exodus 19 and seven, Moses came and he called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded. Whatever God told him, he laid those words before the people. I'm thankful for men of God in my life that will take exactly what the Lord said and lay it before me. Can you imagine if Moses would have had the spirit that said, I think that costs too much. I think that's too expensive. I don't think that's necessary in this day and age. And gave the people a polished up version of what God had said. The scripture said that he laid before their faces the words that the Lord had commanded. Verse 8. And I would like for us to read this verse together. It's very important to where we're going. I, will, I would love to hear your voice right now. Could we read verse 8 together? And all the people answered together and said... All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people. Is that beautiful? God said, Moses, this is what I want you to tell the people. The people responded to Moses and said, what the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses took those words and went back to the Lord. And said, the people have said that every word you spoke, they will do. You can be seated. Woo! There is such power in words. Words are... One of the most powerful tools that have ever been used. As a matter of fact, we hear about things like ceasefires, things like that. But really, wars don't begin and end with the firing of a weapon. They begin with words. They end with words. Wars, rumors of wars. What's a rumor of war? It means it's being talked about. It's the words that carry the weight. If today, president of a nation were to step to the microphone provided for him or her as a president, a prime minister, as a prelate, as a leader, and they were to say the words, this day, we declare war on such and such nation. They don't wait 10 minutes. 
the war just began. There may not have been a shot fired. There may not be anybody laying dead in the street. But you can guarantee after those words are spoken, it won't be very long before bullets are flying, bombs are dropping, planes are flying around. Somebody's going to war. Somebody's getting hurt. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Very seldom do wars ever come to a draw. But they start by the power of words. As a matter of fact, the scripture is absolutely replete with sayings that deal with the power of words. How that there is life and death in the tongue. The Lord said that it's out of the abundance of your heart that the mouth speaks. The word of the Lord says that where the word of a king is, there is power. Words hold weight. But there is something that I believe that has somehow taken the power of words and made them weak. And that is our inability as humanity to follow through with what we've said we'll do. As children of God, and I don't want this to sound like I'm starting off negative, so just stay with me. But as children of God, one of the easiest things to do is to make a promise to God. One of the most difficult things to do is to keep that promise. We are a people of inspiration. If you don't believe it, you ought to try to walk in my shoes behind this pulpit every now and then and preach something that's not so inspirational. Because if you preach something that does not have inspiration, people look at you like, why are you here and why did I come? We love to be inspired. But here, Pastor, when I tell you today that inspiration is cheap, When there is no follow-through with what God inspired us to do, if we just let those words fall by the wayside. So we walk up on a meeting in Exodus, the 19th chapter, and the Lord has met face-to-face with Moses, and he has spoken to him, this is my desire for my people, this is what I want them to do. And Moses takes those words, understanding they're carrying great weight, He takes him to the people and they respond to him and they said, Oh Moses, everything that you have said to us, we will do. Now I have a question for you. Did they really do everything Moses said? So you're saying they dropped the ball. So you're saying that at some point when the inspiration ran out, And there was no smoke and fire on the mountain, no lightning flashing, no Sunday night music, no dancing, no shouting, no camp meeting, no conference. When inspiration goes away and you're at a weak place in your life and idolatry presents itself and it looks a little less expensive. Oh man, see, I'm already preaching. There's like a million ways this can end up right here right now. It doesn't cost you anything to say, Lord, I'll do what you've told me to do. It doesn't cost anything to preach. It doesn't cost anything to get up and say, this is my declaration of faith. We're going to start a school. This is my declaration of faith. We're going to have revival. 
This is my declaration of faith. We're going to win more people in this year than we've ever won before. That, that's cheap. But it gets expensive when you start putting feet on your faith. And you start walking in the direction of your declaration. And you start believing that what you've said is really going to happen. And you don't just talk about praying anymore, but you start praying. And you don't just talk about fasting anymore, but you start fasting. And you don't just talk about loving people. You actually love people. You don't act spiritual. You get spiritual. You know, it's not the spiritual people I worry about. It's the ones that think they are and want everybody else to think they are. Because talk is cheap. God's not impressed with how spiritual your Facebook audience thinks you are. God's not impressed with your fake Instagram world. You can't duck lip Jesus and make the world think you're spiritual. God will know when you're spiritual because you'll spend more time on your face than you do on Facebook. And you'll spend more time in his book than you do on Instagram. Woo, it matters. It matters. I am going to make a statement that could be very self-incriminating. You know, sometimes it looks like preachers get to pick on people. But as a preacher, I want to pick on preachers. Can I do that? I guess I started to say, Bishop, like, can I do that as a young man? But I'm quickly reminded as I look around the room today. With all the black balloons and all of the kindness I received last week. You're over the hill. I'm not over there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even halfway up the hill. I'm climbing. I'm going to be a sharp 120-year-old. You hear me? Me and, uh, me and a friend that are three days apart in age were playing golf the other day. And he stepped up and hit the ball, and I saw him reach back and grab his back. I was like, bro, you hurting? He's like, man, every time I swing, I'm like, you know, golf is a game that men play when they're old. What do you do when old man games hurt young men? What do you do? I mean, I guess you just have to put springs on the hardtail, right? Huh? You got... You got springs on that bike? You do? Well, you look like a hardtail anyway. You got it. But I want to tell you something. I thank God for my, my raising. I thank God for how I was raised. I thank God that I've been raised around preachers. I love preachers. I love to be around preachers. I, I, I still, sometimes I feel like a like a little five-year-old boy when I get to sit at the table with preachers that I've admired and respected all my life and I hear them pour, pour in and speak things that add value to me as a man. I love that. But I want to tell you what I struggle with. I struggle with people that say things publicly that I know they're not privately. I struggle with that. Because it's easy to preach it from a pulpit. It's more difficult to live the life. And so, I find myself often saying, God, I don't want to preach something so hard that I can't live it. I want to leave some 
room for reality in my theology. I want to leave room for mercy in my theology. I want to be able to preach, God, that we've got to live right and we've got to be holy and we've got to be separated. But I don't want to throw every good thing out because of a mistake. Woo! That's kind of tight right there, isn't it? You'll never be used by God again. I hadn't quite found that one yet. Looked. But I want to tell you that sometimes we speak things for God that God didn't say. Sometimes we say things and act like it was God's idea when it wasn't. And so I've come into this house today with a pretty simple mission in my heart. And I've come to tell somebody that at some point in your life, you made a declaration to God that whatever he said, you would do. And somewhere along the line, you lost traction in the journey. You told God that you would be faithful. And you told God that you would finish. And you told God that you'd show up every time the doors were open. But you got discouraged. And you got hurt. And you got wounded. And you dropped the ball. And you failed. And you made a mistake. And so now every time you try to do better, you hear that voice in your ear that said every time you promise God, you fall again. And you make a mistake. And you're not worthy of mercy. And you're not worthy of God touching this house today so I've come to tell you that the children of Israel made the declaration whatever you said we're going to do but when they got weak and they got feeble and they were broken and they turned their back on God the thing that we find is that even when they turned their back on God God never turned his back on them I've had people tell me, well, you need to read the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah said that he divorced them and he walked away from them. That is 100% false doctrine. If you'll keep on reading in the very same chapter that the people he said he would divorce, he called them his bride. He called them his wife. And he said, return to me. Let me love you again. I want to tell you, God don't divorce his people. God doesn't abandon his people. God doesn't quit loving us. I'm so glad that even when I made a promise I could not keep, God never fails in his promise. This is birthed in my mind today out of some historical understanding that we really don't talk about very much. We celebrate Independence Day on July the 4th. There's a lot that goes around about. I started caring about what you thought about guns on July the 4th, 1776. Stopped caring what you thought about me being free July 4th, 1776. And there's so much truth to that. But we better thank God for our freedom while we've got it. I don't even know if I should, I don't even know if I should say this. Somebody looked at me this week. We we're sitting down talking. They were like, you know, I'll be honest with you. They said, I guess if they start coming after people's weapons and all that stuff, like they said, I don't own a weapon, so I don't have to worry about it. They said, because honestly, I'm not willing to die for anything. I'm not willing to die to keep them. And I was like, well, how do you think we got them in the first place? 
You understand what I'm saying? Like, we didn't get free because somebody said, this ain't worth dying over. We didn't get free by a bunch of jelly-backed, wussified people. They said, well, if you want it, come get it. And some of us have let that spirit creep into our hearts. We cancel culture and letting the enemy tell us, I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take your spirit. I'm going to take your relationship. I'm going to take your worship. And we say, well, it's just not worth dying over. They looked at me, they said, do you, 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 really have, you really have guns? And I said, well, I did before the boat wreck. They said, you, you really do? I said, yeah. They said, you really have ammo? I said, sure. They said, if somebody came in, would you really? K-I-L-L? Y-E-S? It's my family. God gave me my family. That's my home. This is my church. You're my people. I'm going to tell y'all something. I don't just want to live as your pastor. If your pastor wouldn't die for what he's preaching, he don't deserve to preach and live it. Everybody can preach about what you should live. I'm telling you, we need some folks right now that are willing to say, Lord, if it costs me everything, I'll never bow my knee. I realize what I'm about to say could be held against me in, in, in circles of people that don't matter anyway. So I shouldn't say that. It sounds ugly. I don't mean it to be ugly. I just mean it to be honest. I'm going to tell you, I struggled last year when apostolic people were standing against apostolic men who refused to close their doors. But they rally behind people that don't even preach truth. They're like, oh, they're heroes. They're standing. I'm like, hey, one of your boys was standing last year. It's all fun and games till somebody gets their eye poked out, right? But we got family across the northern border. I got family there. They live like three or four kilometers from their kids. Their kids just happen to live in the next town over, and the next town over happens to be the next province over. And their kids had a baby while all this was going on. And that grandmother had to go over a year without holding that brand new grandbaby and live less than two, three miles from her kids. I was talking with a man of God yesterday, Brother Brown, who was the district superintendent at Tennessee, connected my father-in-law, helped us with my father-in-law's services, and, and, and Brother Brown was Canadian-born. He started talking to me about Canada. He's got a brother that's in, in uh, Calgary. We were talking about it, and we started talking about the, the Polish pastor up there that refused to close his doors, and the other day they finally pulled him over and arrested him on the interstate hog-tied him in handcuffs. We're carrying him like a piece of luggage, men on each side dragging, dragging him down the highway and put him in. The only thing he did was refuse to close his doors. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not here acting like everything didn't happen. It just goes away. But listen, I'm going to tell you, it's sad that just a couple hundred miles from where they're at, we're able to meet in large groups and have conferences and camp meetings and all that. This, 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 really, this really, now we're seeing the true agenda arise of what's really going on in the earth. And what's happening is all the people who declared how strong they were, now they're having to stand up and prove how strong they were. And so I'm saying to you today, it's cheap to just declare that we're going to have revival in this end time. It's cheap to say you're going to live for God in this end time. It's going to cost you something in the end time if you're going to live for God. I've had three separate conversations with people that attend another church in this city. And they came to me, knew I was a pastor. And they said, when do you guys go back to church? Do you finally get open? Are you guys opening back up anytime soon? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? So we went back to church Mother's Day last year. Like, oh, my God, you did what? We haven't been to church in months. They said, well, we came back together. Wasn't anybody there. I said, I think a few of them came here, to be honest. Listen, on July the 4th, the declaration, somebody say declaration. declaration. The declaration of independence was signed. But we weren't independent. It was only the declaration that said we will be free. Woo! I'm going to help somebody in this house right now. But by the signing of the Declaration of Independence, there were 56 Americans that put their name, like you could really say they put their John Hancock. They wrote their name on a piece of paper knowing that words cannot be cheap right now. Because if all we do is talk about this, we'll never be free. Oh, Lord, I'm, I, I'm, see, I'm flowing right now. And, and, and some of you are scared to go with me because it's about to get expensive. 56, 56 Americans pledged their lives and their fortunes, their sacred honor. If you read the monument that's at the Berkeley Plantation, this is what it says. By signing the Declaration of Independence, the 56 Americans pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. It was no idle pledge. Listen now. Nine signers died of wounds during the Revolutionary War. Five were captured or imprisoned. Wives and children were killed, jailed, mistreated, or left penniless. Twelve signers Houses were burned to the ground. Seventeen lost everything they owned. But not one signer defected. Their honor, like their nation, remained intact. God is not American. 
So July the 4th doesn't mean the same thing to God that it means to us. But I'm going to tell you what it does mean to us. It means that God gave us an opportunity as a free nation to have revival in freedom and impact the world. And if we won't do it while we're free, maybe we'll have to do it bound. I heard it for months when them church doors open. I'm bringing everybody I can bring. I heard pastors say, when the church doors open, we're going to be on fire. When the church doors open, it's going to happen. And where are they now? Did you hear what I read to you on the bottom of that monument? Not one signer defected. Not, are you hearing me, Bishop? Not one. Not one. And because their honor remained intact, our nation remained intact. Do you know how the church is going to remain intact? When we stand on the word that upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Can I tell you right now that of the 12 apostles, when the Lord rested his hand on them and Judas got his deal out of the way and the day of Pentecost happened and the Holy Ghost fell, can I tell you that the foundation of apostles and prophets, it's all still intact I hate to be the bearer of bad news but not one apostle believed the apostles creed not one apostle ever read the apostles creed the apostles were a sure foundation that's still intact and because the message was intact the church is intact Can I preach? I only get one chance today. If y'all are in trouble, I hope you're hungry by 2.30. Mike Miller said he's packing up right now. He's out of here. Church family, I came to this house with a burden on my heart this morning. I came with something in my spirit that I can't get rid of. I was wrestling with it in the darkness this morning. I said, God, I don't want to be some weak, cheap, sorry sucker. It goes around the world trying to tell people what revival looks like. And this is how the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes you got to talk to my hard head. He said, this right here, boy, is a sword. It ain't no silver spoon. So quit trying to force people. What they don't want to eat and realize that my word is a weapon. But my word is not a weapon against people that don't want it. My word is a weapon against the powers of darkness that are trying to keep their mind blinded and their eyes blinded. He said if you'll use the sword and fight with the sword, you'll defeat that principality that's kept the eyes of those people blind. Hey, I want to tell you this morning, I'm not just here to preach about war. I'm here to tell you it's war time. It's time to get on our faces. It's time to find a prayer closet. It's time to go after it. I've been through three weeks camp meeting already. Senior camp, junior camp, family camp. 
My girls are singing at another Sunday school camp. I'm going to go hear my bishop preach at Frankfurt camp. I like camp meeting. But I'm going to tell you what I'm feeling coming back on us. I'm feeling it coming on us, Brother Harrison. It's that lethargic spirit that says, I can't wait for the next event. I can't wait for the next conference. I can't wait till we get back together again. I was talking to some of my friends this week that are traveling. Uh, I, I don't mind telling you, one of them is Brother Court Chavis. He's been traveling, traveling back and forth, back and forth. Been to Austin, Texas twice in the last week. Came straight in to, to be here with us. Going to take a week and then got other things. We were just going on about schedules, how crazy it's got. I'm like, well, you know, last year, just a little longer than a year ago, we weren't going anywhere. But I hope we didn't fail to learn what God was trying to teach us while we were down. Because we can book meetings, schedule meetings, inspire people, get people dancing, shouting, get people feeling all good. But listen, if they go home and keep doing what they've always done, we're failing miserably. I'm not here to be ugly. If you've been around this church, you know I love you. I love you. I'd lay down my life for you. I thank God for you. That's why I preach and reach for you the way that I do. But listen, I'm not here today to make you comfortable. I came under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to make you uncomfortable today. I'm here to tell you we can't keep talking about harvest. We can't keep talking about prayer. We can't keep talking. We got to get after it. We got to get up from where we are. Quit talking about camp meeting and let's go to war it's crazy I sat in circles of people and listened to them take words that men have prayed and fasted about sought God listened to political spirits brother Stephen tear apart and say I, I didn't think he did that good I mean, I wasn't really that inspired. I'm going to use this because I can talk about me and not get in trouble, Josh. So maybe I'll talk about somebody else later. But a couple years ago, I, I preached a conference. And I was, I was miserable. I mean, I was miserable. It was horrible. Brother Horner, I didn't hardly come out of my hotel room for three days. I didn't eat. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was sick. Just, so every time I'd think about it, I was sick. I remember being a little boy saying, ooh, I can't wait to preach conference. Now I'm like, huh. Especially when they put you on the last night, Bishop. Isn't that true? Like conference is no fun until you're finished. <laughs> I'm, I was sick. I mean, just sick. The whole conference. My wife said, you want to go get something to eat? I said, no, just bring me something back to the room. I, I don't even feel like eating. Just, just I'll, I'll be right here. I got it preached. Gave it everything I had. And the next day, it started online. Fake book. No, I didn't misspeak. I, fake book. Twitter. People making this too hard to serve Jesus. I don't know why guys feel like they got to preach it so hard. I'm like, I preach John 3, 5. You got to be born again, Dr. Lang. I mean, it's water and spirit. If you're not, 
There were more people offended that I said Kanye needed the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not, I'm not being a jerk. Understand, this is not, I told you so. Listen to what I'm saying. I had people in my face at conference because they were wanting to play Kanye in the sanctuary because he was a Christian now. I said, we'll see what happens with Kanye. But what I preached, it's been around for about 6,000 years. And Kanye, he ain't a Christian anymore. I'm saying we'll fuss about things that don't matter. And we'll cut things down that people are invested in. And do it in Jesus' name. It is that political spirit that's keeping us from our mission and our mandate. If you preach it that hard, you won't get elected. Uh, <laughs> I was at a district conference one time with my granddad. It was at your old home place. And my granddad, so helped me. I'll never forget the preaching he did that. I remember the suit that he wore. I do. I remember the suit that he wore. I remember what he preached. He absolutely, he, he preached his shoes off. And I agree with every single word that he said. He was the district superintendent. And the day that he walked off of that platform after preaching and taking a stand against some things that had came in the district, the district split. And Bishop, we can start counting today. The men that stood against that word that day. They're not even around. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough to make this statement. I'd rather have his reward for preaching it Than to have their reward for standing against it and somebody patting them on the back and say, way to be courageous. It don't take courage to be critical. It takes courage to take a stand. It takes courage to fall in love with truth and not let it go for any reason. You can declare. You can declare your independence as a nation. And you can declare your independence as a people. But you need, to, you need to be very aware that every man who signed the Declaration of Independence, he and his families suffered deeply. If you're not willing to, sign, uh, to, to suffer over your declaration today, that we will do whatever he has said to do, then don't sign the paper. Is this too strong for a Sunday morning? Listen, this is why baptism has become cheap. People want to get baptized to make their little public profession of an inward faith. You've heard me preach about this, and it's not a joke. It really happened. A church had baptism Sunday, set a swimming pool up on their platform, Put a water slide going into it. And as people would slide down the slide, they'd say, in the name of the. And people were sliding down the slide and people getting out laughing. Saw, saw, saw a pastor that had a background in, in wrestling or MMA or something. And people were going down. He was picking them up, choke slamming them down the water and doing it. I, I, I promise to God, I, I saw this happen. 
And we're like, whoo. Listen, I'm going to tell you. That right there is a cheap declaration. If you're not willing to die for the name that you just took on. Nowhere in the scripture do we find mass graves. Oh, Lord. Maybe I shouldn't get on this right now. When the scripture said that him and his whole household were baptized that day. I don't believe they were all baptized in Acts 19 on a water slide. I believe that the apostle in Acts the 10th chapter took Cornelius. And I believe that Peter took uh, the jailer and his household. I believe he took them down to the water. And I believe he said, uh, not, not in our English language, but I believe he said in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe he invoked the name over them. I believe that. I believe that he invoked the only saving name. Why do I believe that? Because he's the same one that said there's not salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men. I'm saying to you. Oh, God. I don't want to get off here. I don't want to get off. But I'm, I'm carrying. This is so heavy. It's so heavy. I, I can't get out from underneath this. I used, I used to read the Ten Commandments, Brother McLean, and I didn't get like, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? And so I'd say, Don't say, Oh my God. Like, that's, that's where we got, don't, don't say, Oh my God. And it's very disrespectful. And, and I, I'd smack my kids' mouth if they did it. But understand me when I tell you, that is not the commandment. Don't take his name in vain. Means unless you mean something, unless you need something, unless you value what's about to happen, don't 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 mention his name. And I'm saying to you today, that's why it means something to your pastor more than just getting people wet in that watery grave up there. We're, we're, we're not just here to get people wet. I don't want to take his name in vain. I want them to be sure they know when you make this declaration, you're going to live for him no matter what it costs you. I can guarantee you right now, there won't be any plaques for Sermon of the Year for this one. I'm digging down in my soul this morning. Because I'm so tired of people cheapening the covenant. Why in the name of God would we cheapen? most valuable thing oh god how many y'all baptized sister net how many you baptize 80 do you know how long those 80 women have waited do you know how long 80 prisoners have waited to be baptized they could have let somebody at the prison baptize them any way they wanted to. But they said, we want to be baptized in the name. Because it's more than a declaration. We want to buy in. Oh, God. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord. I'm, I'm going to finish. but I, I, got, I got to get where I'm going right now. I got to get where I'm going.
There are 80 prisoners today that have their name written down in glory. And it's not because they just went through the formal uh, action of doing it. They went down in the name. I need the Holy Ghost to help me this morning. In your Bibles, in Matthew, the ninth chapter. I wish I could just get this off my spirit, but this is why the Lord's got me here. I, I'm, I'm not messed up in my thinking at all. What scares me is that it's so clear. My wife told me the other day I pull my glasses off a lot while I'm preaching. See, them puppy dogs get steamed up pretty good. In your Bibles, Matthew, the ninth chapter, there's a scripture that we preach all the time, Brother Jordan. But I can't, I can't get past it right now. I can't. When I read it, I have to go back and read it again. Because I think we've preached it wrong. I've spent a lifetime praying for harvest. God, give us harvest. Give this church harvest. Give us harvest. Give us. God, give us harvest. Give us souls. Give us. God, give us. Give us. Give us. Give us. Give us. Give us. Somebody shout, give us. Matthew 9. Verse 37. Hope you all got seatbelts on this morning. And he said to his disciples. I can't even read this without weeping this morning. Wish my church was as big as yours. I wish I had a building like that. I wish we ran that many people. He said to his disciples. Y'all, I can't shake this. Go pray for the harvest. Is that what he said? Maybe I should put my glasses back on. Say it, Brother Diaz. It's what? What? So the harvest isn't the problem? It's people that talk about it. Don't do anything about it. He said the harvest. It's abundant. Jesus didn't go to Walmart. But he did go to the market. And when he got to the pools that were by the market. There was a man there on the porch. He said you've been this way 38 years. And then he asked him, Brother Joe, he said, will you be made whole? Because he wants to know if you really want out. But if you're interested, he said, I'm going to talk to you. Now take your bed and get up and walk. Isn't that crazy that that didn't happen on Sunday night in the sanctuary? Because this is the only place harvest happens, right? No, no, no. The harvest is in the field. But I, 
It's, it's 12 o'clock. But I got, I, I got to preach one more hard thing. Jesus said, this is a hard saying. Can I, can I preach one more hard saying? Uh, Brother Sean, you're going to have to help me on this one because it's a hard saying. I'm going to tell you, talk is cheap. And we got a bunch of people that are trying to cut corners to get to the harvest with what they're preaching. The, the, the message that they're preaching, Sister Bingham, they're having to cut corners to get to it. Now, I'm not going to leave the Bible right here. But if your message is always cutting corners, the problem is, Brother Lang, it leaves nothing for the stranger. Because the Bible said that the corners... corner is for the stranger and when our doctrine starts cutting corners we start looking for an easier way there's nothing left for the stranger and the only harvest we have is what we put in the barn but do you know when the stranger if the process was done right God I feel the Holy Ghost and I'm not even screaming if the process is done right and the corner is there, when the stranger gets it, the stranger doesn't just consume what he gets in the corner. He invests it. The stranger will glean from the corner and then he'll take it to his field that has nothing in it. And he'll invest the corner in his field. And next year, he'll have a harvest. And he'll leave the corner for a stranger. And the stranger will take the corner and put it. Oh, God, I'm preaching right now. I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. The reason why we're not seeing harvest is not because people don't want it. That's a lie. You guys preach it too hard. People don't want this holiness message. That's not true. It's not true. As a matter of fact, people that start coming into the church, they'll tell you, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Am I telling the truth, Austin? I'm not going to steal his testimony, but he can tell you. He's looked everywhere. He's walked everywhere he could look. But when you walk into a church that hadn't cut the corners, he said, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers. So then how should I pray, Pastor? Verse 38. This is it right here, Sister Reno. This is how we got to pray. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send. Somebody shouted at me. Harvest is not the problem. It's labors. Pastor, I don't want to go preach in nursing homes. They slobber on themselves. God forgive us. There was a time that honest to God, my, my wife can testify. I thought I, was killing, I thought I was killing myself, and I'm not talking about suicide. Like I, I literally was killing myself. 
I was trying to get to everybody I could get to. Our prison ministry had, 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 had gone away. It was, it was gone. I was trying to preach here. I was trying to preach in the nursing home. I was trying to preach in the jail. I was trying to preach in the prison. I was trying to cover them all. I was wore out. I was exhausted. Because somebody needs to get the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to be filled. And then I'd come to church all by myself, wore out and exhausted. I'd say, God, give us harvest, give us harvest, give us harvest. I was praying the wrong way. How many of you have any family that's lost? Do you think we need harvest? Is this all right? It's late. I'm not screaming. Y'all forget about this in a minute when you're biting on steak. My heart is aching within my chest today, my soul. Some say, well, the answer is let's have a, let, let's have a block party. Okay. Let's do it. What's a block party going to do? It's going to give us exposure. How many people are in this church today that got baptized at a block party this church had? How many people are in this church today because somebody took time to love you and invest in you? I wonder what the most effective mode of evangelism is. Anybody feeling this on Independence Day? Oh, God. I'm trying my best to just, I'm just trying to keep it together right now because I want God to touch somebody the way he's touched my heart and my mind right now. I'm going to tell you the harvest that's coming to this church. We're going to stay in the community. We're going to preach. We're going to do it all. And don't think, I'm, don't, don't, don't think I'm trying to be counterproductive here, but the last thing that I need right now is to come up with another service schedule and do it on the back of a trailer and play music and preach somewhere else. I like it. But that's not where it's at. We'll tell you where it's at. It's in swallowing our pride and walking up to that person that we've said a thousand times, they don't want it. They don't want anything to do with it. And take them out for coffee or toast and breakfast. And say, I want to tell you, you've been on my heart. I've been praying for you. I've been up the last several nights and God's going to do it in Jesus' name because I'm praying for it today. Don't think I'm being ugly. But I'm praying that God will make some of you so miserable that you'll be up every night till you start making calls. You start reaching out to people that you know. I'm not talking about people you got to convince you're all right and that you're not a nutcase and that you're crazy. I'm talking about people that love you, people that trust you, and they're going to look at your life and say, man, if he did that for you. We tried it all, man. We were laughing about the other day, Josh. We had church growth every softball season when we played in the league. Every year. Guys would pray back through the Sunday night before league started every week. Every year. Because they didn't want God. They wanted ball. And the reason people would rather talk about harvest than labors is because harvest is expensive. But investing in people every single day is the most expensive thing you'll ever do. God, 
I've been very intentional about my pace this morning. I've been very intentional about how I preach this this morning because you've spoken to me. And so I'm asking right now, God, without any exhilaration, without excitement, without cheerleading, I'm just asking your hand to rest on this church right now. And whoever is hungry for harvest, I'm asking you right now to put the heart of a laborer in them and to activate it in their spirit. I'm asking you right now, Father, from this platform to the back door, to let this that I feel in my spirit begin to transfer into this room. And I'm asking you right now to begin to let tears flow in this house. Let the weight of this mission field rest on people. God, I know there's people all over the place today. There's people on boats and people. There's probably people watching this live stream right now from an Independence Day party. But I'm reaching for somebody that came here today, God, that's hungry. I'm not looking for the declaration. I'm looking for somebody that will fight after they've declared it. Let it rest on this congregation right now. If you're here today, you don't walk with the Lord the way you want to walk with the Lord yet. But you believe what I'm preaching today and you believe harvest is the will of God. I'm asking you to come right. Pastor, my life's not, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to teach anybody Bible study right now. I don't deserve, re- listen, that's a lie from the pits of hell. That's a lie from the, you may not have it all right right now. You may not have it all together right now. But you start investing in people. Go back to the dudes that used to steal your drug money. Go back to the dudes that they, they were your friend as long as you could buy the, buy the drinks. When you ran out of money, it was over. We're not here today to just declare harvest. We're here to invest in harvest. We're here to invest. I hate to tell you today, but if you got a, if you got a bad spirit and you hate, you hate other people and got bitterness in your heart against people that aren't the same nationality you do, you'll never understand what I'm preaching you right now. you got to love people to win people. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious. God, everybody in this city deserves to hear this message. There is no truth like the truth of the Word of God. God, let our lamps burn bright that this message could go all over this community. Come on, don't fight it right now. Don't fight it. If you, if you start feeling that chin quiver and tears start, don't, don't, don't fight that. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be today, Pastor. Or I, I, I'd, I'd come up there right now. You're not so far that he can't use you. Kinaboshad. I drove by the prisons in Pendleton every day this week, I think, the last three weeks, almost every single day. And Debbie, when I look over the fence, I see the big thing where we where we used to go in there, the windows where we used to go in there and have church. I drove by there this week and I I thought, I wonder how many guys in there right now would be baptized in Jesus' name. But we, we, just, we can't get to them. I don't ha- we don't have labors. How many? 
Oh, God. Is anybody feeling what I'm, what I'm telling you today? Who in your life is going to be lost without God and spend eternity in hell if you don't talk to them? Who is it? Now, you just got your mission filled. You just got your mission filled. They, they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it, Pastor. They, they don't want to hear it. If they don't, wash your hands and get the next face. Let's go to them. Why, 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 why are you doing this this morning? Because Jesus is coming. I pray for every evangelist today that's preaching this gospel across the land. I pray for every pastor today. God, let us empower people. I'm praying that God will take public servants that are working in this church, nurses and practitioners and police officers. They begin to heal people in, in, in a different way. What do you think? What, what, do you, what do you think would happen in your life if people started getting the Holy Ghost on your lunch break? Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, use me. Anybody willing to make this your prayer right now? If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, use me. With all of my faults and failures, Lord, take my hands, Lord, take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use Nobody will ever be saved that does not see their need for salvation. But it would surprise you how many people don't know until you tell them. I'm praying that God will rest on this church. Listen, I know not everybody's up here right now. This often, that, that doesn't mean they didn't hear it. But listen, I'm just saying if... If only the people that are in this altar, if you just took this number, and just this number of people got what I'm preaching this morning, can you imagine what the next three months would look like in this church? <laughs> can you imagine the excitement of all the newborn babies that would be in this house if today somebody would get it in their heart? If I don't tell them, they're going to be lost. If I don't reach for them, Brother Joe, they're going to be lost. I'm going to reach. I'm going to love them. I'm going to buy them coffee till they're sick of coffee. It's going to happen. You're a soul winner, right? You got influence. You might as well get ready, bro. God's about to blow your world up. It's about to happen. I want you to raise your hands. The Holy Ghost is on you right now.